0: When I see.
1: going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke, as bond servants, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. These are those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good, by their good service, are believers and beloved. This is God's word. Joey, pray for us. Well, uh, we've talked a lot already about the role of the pastor and the role of the elder, the overseer, in the letter of First Timothy. That's something that we've seen a lot of. Paul is not afraid to talk about the work of the pastor. In fact, that's one of the big reasons that he's been writing to Timothy. Uh, He asked him to remain at Ephesus to love those elders who are already there, to encourage them, to equip them, to train up more elders, to preach the word, to uh, devote himself to the public reading of scripture until he got there, uh, and also to, to, to find deacons who can serve in that role, and uh, how, to, how to love this church, how to make it a gospel-centered place, a gospel-focused church. Um, Joey uh, got the middle section of First Timothy 5 last week, considering widows. Uh, And you might remember how chapter 5 started a couple weeks ago. Do you remember verse 1? It says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. And so we kind of started chapter 5 with this flavor of fellowship. What it looks like if we actually interact with one another as the family of God. right? If we go beyond the you know, five-minute greeting time on Sundays to being a family, right? If we, if we treated one another with these pronouns and gave one another honor. And we saw the idea of a family returning some type of honor, making some return to their relatives, it says, especially members of their own household. Widows should have their children or grandchildren seek to take care of them first. Uh, but then the church is to honor the widow. And Joey talked about the list, Uh, Last week, and uh, the ministry not only to widows, but also the ministry perhaps of widows and those who are to be serving in the body. So really, really cool stuff. Uh, I found something here that I don't think I've ever seen before, Uh, at least a sequence of Paul's argument, Paul's conversation, Paul's thought process, Uh, and it has to do with honor, right? Honor your family in Christ, brothers and sisters honoring one another, mothers and fathers, honor your literal family, making some return to them, honor widows. We, we see this word honor repeated in chapter 5. And now we're doing what? What are we honoring? Elders, it says. And so uh, there's this honor these people, honor these people, honor these people. And so I've got now elders and masters, right? And I was pretty ambitious. I was going to try to do both. And I realized, you know, through my study, that wasn't going to happen. So even though I read all the way to 6-2, we're just going to talk about elders today. We'll hit the masters next week. Um, but this is, this, is, this is good stuff. This is important for us. I thought a lot about how, um, you know, we, we watch some type of um, uh, TV awards. I don't, I don't watch TV awards, but whatever, whatever you know, celebrity, what, what is the name of even one of them? I can't even name one. Oscars, okay, uh, usually they've got somebody who's actually going to win the trophy, who's going to be honored by some type of award, but then what do they do? They give the honorable mentions to follow, the honorable mentions, um, and I thought about Kanye and, and old Taylor Swift, I thought I'd not get into that, um, but, but, but this, is, this, is, uh, this is the honorable mentions, right? So we've talked about the family of God and how we're to serve these widows, and, you know, I'm going to let you finish, right? But, but here's, here's elders and masters, too. These folks also need to be honored in the body of Christ. Now, what are elders? What are elders? Hopefully, you can answer most of that question yourself, since we've been talking about it a lot. Um, is Paul talking about old people? The word is presbyteros. It can refer to a mature man with sound judgment and wisdom, but usually in Scripture it's a unique word that is almost always used to speak of those men that God has set apart in the body of Christ to govern the congregation, to be the overseers of the church. That's what he called them in chapter 3. They rule, they lead, they teach, they preach, they oversee, they shepherd, they guide, they manage. They are the shepherds in God's Local church. Another word for this you might be more familiar with is pastor. Pastor. Pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd, same office. Now let me say clearly, if I haven't said this before, you'll notice the word is plural, right? Elders. Uh, you will be hard-pressed to find this word used in the singular context in the Scriptures. It is almost always used in the plural context. Elders, overseers, shepherds. We even just saw it in Philippians chapter 1 on Wednesday night. Paul writing to the saints, all the saints in Philippi, Philippians as we say, um, and to the overseers and the deacons. Uh, We see this plural pattern in the scriptures. Now we, we look at the worldly governments and we say, hold on, right? We've got one king, one president, one pope, One governor, one mayor. And so we say, one pastor, it's all we need, one elder. But we shouldn't ask what the world does, right? We should ask what the Bible says. And so I commend to you this morning, if I've never just said it plainly, I think the Bible does advocate for multiple pastors in a local church. Um, You know, various places throughout the scripture, Paul talks about the elders. Uh, And you can even see that in Acts chapter 20. He talks about the elders in Ephesus. Uh, Paul assumes that Timothy is going to find the right men to train them up if there aren't any. And they're going to lead this church along with him. Uh, That's a big reason why Paul sent Timothy. Uh, These are people who are responsible for moving the church forward, managing God's people, caring for the souls and men of women, heralding the words of Scripture. Is it good to have one guy do that or a bunch I think a bunch, right? I think a team going at this would be great. Uh, It's not good to have one person carry the burden alone. Uh, A team of qualified, God-called, Bible-loving, soul-caring shepherds is what God sees in his church. Uh, I believe this is what the Bible recommends for us. Um, And Lord willing, Christ will raise up more elders as we move forward in the years to come. Uh, And we'll talk about... Masters again next week. I I was going to give you a little synopsis of of what's going on there. We're just going to we're just going to get there next week. All right, sound good? Talk about masters next week. So here's what we can learn about honoring elders in the body of Christ this morning. I've got three points. Big surprise, right? That's what I told Nathaniel. Um, Three points. Be careful to support them. Be careful making a charge. Against them, be careful in laying hands on them. Uh, So, first of all, be careful to support them. This first way of honoring an elder has to do with some type of compensation. Let's just read it what it says. Verse 17: Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So there are some today, right, who who believe that pastors in local churches should not be paid or should not be given any kind of reimbursement or honorarium. Uh, They say if they are called into this office, they'll go without, right? Keep them lowly, keep them holy. Uh, they'll, they'll, They'll figure it out. Um, And we see search committees who are prepared to offer prospective pastors a full 6% of their tithes and offerings and have a list of duties 10 miles long to go along with that 6% salary. Um, There are dozens of SBC pastors who literally cannot retire because they haven't been well taken care of. And there have been ministries created to help pastors retire so that they can live into old age and have health insurance and things like that. Now, you know, some of this isn't just because people don't follow the Bible. It's because certain convictions that other pastors have, and we can love our brothers and sisters, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody here. But I am trying to ask, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Elders who rule well should be considered worthy of double honor. So we just got to talking about widows, so you might say, all right, well, whatever we're giving the widows, let's double it right? Double honor, right? That's a very literal uh, interpretation some might take. I don't think it should be taken quite that literally. The word double is used three other times in the New Testament, and it's always a form of exaggerated emphasis, okay? Double means especially, you know, they should receive, they should be well taken care of. Uh, And and the question then is, well, what is their labor? Uh, they, they, They do two things. They rule well, and they preach and teach. They rule well, and they do. And they, they preach and teach. I mean, literally, the word overseer is, is to rule, to watch over, to, to care for. Uh, Paul uses the word labor many places in his writings. The word labor is to toil, to work yourself to the bone, to the point of exhaustion and great fatigue over these things. Um, personally, you know, I've said it before, I think, I get scared when I see energetic pastors they make me scared. They frighten me, right? I want to see pastors who are tired, right? Who have rings under their eyes, because they've they've been with the sheep. They're, they're laboring in the in the word, um, and it's a labor that's worthy of double honor. I should also mention here that many brothers and sisters in Christ take this verse to imply different kinds of elders, um, those who rule and those who preach and teach. Um, And I can certainly agree that there are strengths and weaknesses to every pastor, every elder. Uh, I I do think there's only one office, though. That is the office of overseer, elder, pastor, right? Uh, So then, that means, according to 1 Timothy 3, verse 2, they should be able to teach. Every elder, every pastor. And then Paul decides to make a very logical argument here by quoting Deuteronomy 25. Would you put a muzzle... On the ox's mouth when he goes to work for you the ox toils in the field and you say good job ox now go sit in the corner and you know put the muzzle on don't let him eat no of course not after he's brought in all the grains for you you fill up his water bucket right and you fill up his food trough because you want to be taken care of this is your animal And so it points us at least to one thing in the Old Testament, God cared about animal cruelty, that's interesting, Uh, but an even bigger point here in the New Testament that Paul brings out, how much more does he care about pastor cruelty, about elder cruelty? Let them preach, let them eat. Now I should emphasize the alternate extreme of this is those pastors we might see on TV today. Um, this is not an argument for all-star pastors with private jets and 32-bedroom mansions in Argentina to have, you know, 10 vacations home, vacation homes and, and ridiculous salaries and all of these kinds of things. That's not what the labor-deserves-his-wages means. Can we agree to that? When a church decides to get behind its pastor, pastors, see, I'm, I'm, I'm bad about it, pastors, um, they should do it with this unit, united decree, decision, that they're going to support these men. They're going to get behind them. The way you honor elders is by supporting them the best you can, making sure this is a priority of the church and every member in it. But I love what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9. He talks about this in that chapter as well. Regardless of a paycheck, an honorarium, health insurance, a can of beans to eat when you get home from preaching... Regardless of what it is, Paul made it clear what the real reward of ministry is. He says in 1 Corinthians nine eighteen, What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Paul had some churches support him. He had some churches that chose not to support him. Regardless, he said, I get to preach the gospel, and that's my reward. That's my end goal. So elders, Joey, me, right? Make the preaching of the gospel your ultimate reward. Church members, honor your elders with double honor as they labor in preaching and teaching. There are two more important ways to honor elders here in this passage, and I think they're more of a caution than a here-go-do-this kind of thing. This is almost like a warning. But they do uh, relate to the honor of that office. You might remember when Paul talked about widows. Who, Who were they supposed to honor? Widows who were truly widows. And so you might just hear Paul whisper again, by contrast, honor elders who are truly elders. Okay? Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So this has to do with making a charge, being careful to make a charge against an elder. Now, what kind of charge charge is, might a church member want to make against an elder? It could be that of false doctrine, teaching the Bible bad, wrong. Um, Maybe the elder is now believing and advocating for something that is false, something that's contrary to scripture. Uh, We remember the qualifications that he was to meet in 1 Timothy 3, and perhaps there is some failure on his part. Perhaps this elder has now fallen below reproach by some decisions he's made. Perhaps this elder hasn't been faithful to his one wife. Perhaps this elder has not controlled the passions of his flesh. Perhaps this elder has become a drunkard. Perhaps this elder isn't managing his own household well. Perhaps he's quarrelsome, starting fights, making division, not hospitable. It could be a variety of things to be charged against an elder. But let me remind you that this is a big part of what it means to be congregational. We're Baptist. We're congregational, right? The church has the final authority to literally remove an elder from office if they so decide. That's huge. But we better make sure that it's on the evidence of two to three witnesses. Paul lays this out just like Jesus does in Matthew chapter 18, right? He talks about it again in 1 Corinthians 5 about this process of what happens when a brother is caught in sin, whether he's an elder or not. What are you supposed to do? The the answer is not really different, whether it's a regular member or an elder. I think the main difference is that we honor elders by being slow in this process, being very careful in this process. If you're the only one noticing a sin problem in an elder's life, don't ruin their ministry, their family, and their reputation by immediately charging them or spreading rumors about them. Be patient. Wait. It says later in this chapter that all sin comes to light. It might be hidden now, but it will come to the light later. So so you know, wait, be, be patient. And here's, I think, probably the, the, the main difference. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18 that if he refuses to listen to the church, consider him a Gentile and a tax collector. In 1 Timothy 5, when an elder has sinned against the body, the elder, after having a private meeting with the first person, the two or three witnesses, however it's orchestrated, After he refuses even them, he is to be publicly rebuked in front of all, in the presence of all is what it says, right? So both of these are really difficult to do, to say you're not a Christian, and then for the elder to get him in front of the church and and literally lay his sins bare in front of the body. Now, both of these are hard to do, but the main difference is that the elder must be exposed the elder, that's what that word rebuke means. It's different than the word we saw for rebuking an older man in, in verse 1. This is a different word. It means to expose, to convict, to show, to be guilty. And so this is, this is hard. Is this the honorable thing to do? Is this how we honor elders? Right? We, we see pastors today who've been caught in fits of anger, drunkenness, sexual immorality, And we've seen an unfortunate amount of pastors even commit crimes of sexual abuse against someone besides their own wife, church members, even children. Many churches in these circumstances have chosen to have secret meetings with these elders and quietly force their resignation. And then within 6 to 12 months, that pastor is in another state, in another church, repeating his same patterns. This is a sad, deadly, sinful world that we live in where things like this happen. Do you know the honorable thing that God has done for us? The honorable thing that God has done for us is that he's called us to confess our sins before him because he is faithful and just And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 5.16 The Lord loves to make manifest our sin because it initiates His mercy. It initiates His forgiveness. It initiates the removal and the purification from sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says that whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is the Bible, right? When we follow this instruction, we tell the world that confession is good, and confession brings healing, restoration, and mercy, and forgiveness. So yes, it is the most honorable thing to do to have this pastor publicly confess his error. We honor this elder by initiating mercy at day one, right? And and as an aside here, we tell the world two other things when we do it this way. When we publicly put an elder's sin on display, we we communicate to everyone in the body and to the whole world that sin ain't a joke, right? Sin is serious business. We hate it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We don't like it. We got to get it out. The Bible says to purge it. We're serious about this. Whether they're pastors, longtime members, teenagers, or nursery workers, this is not a place where sin will be covered up. We're not going to tolerate it, right? We're going to bring it to light. Secondly, what does the text say? It says that we do this so the rest may stand in fear. Now, I think literally the rest is talking about the other elders, the other pastors of that church, right? They're going to see that this one pastor didn't get away with it. They're going to see what he had to go through, and they're going to check themselves carefully, saying, this can happen to me. No pastor is exempt from the possibility of committing a disqualifying sin or developing a pattern of persistent sin. If I ruin everything, and destroy my christian witness by doing something stupid. And you all call for my public rebuke one sunday morning and remove me from the office of elder. The most feared fearful person in the congregation ought to be Joey. Right? And under Joey, everybody else should also be a little nervous. Because if it happened to Pastor Dale, if it happened to Pastor Joey, It can happen to me that fast. We are all, they said this during my ordination, you are always one stupid decision away from absolutely ruining everything. Nobody's exempt from that. All it takes is one stupid decision to ruin your ministry, to ruin this church. And by the way, what a great reason to have multiple pastors. Not so if one of them gets kicked out, you'll have others, right? That's not what I mean, but so that they can hold each other accountable and they can ask the hard questions. They're supposed to have a high standard of holiness, according to first Timothy. Hopefully they're going to hold one another accountable to that, right? They're going to keep that day from coming. There ought to be a team that are that are asking hard questions. And just in case Timothy didn't want to follow up on this, Paul put in verse twenty one. Verse 21, what does it say? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. God, Jesus Christ, and the elect angels of the Trinity are in my presence as I'm writing this, giving you this charge, you better not look away. If you see an elder caught in sin, confront it. Timothy, you're going to make enemies if you do this. You're going to possibly, you know, offend everybody in the entire church and get run off. You're not going to make people like you if you do this. But if you don't do this for their approval, you deny God, you deny Christ, you deny every elect angel. In this world and in this presence, watching you, this is how you honor elders, Timothy. So I'll ask all of you here today, will you be slow to confront your elders on a charge of sin? If you do see a serious pattern of sin, and others do as well, will you love that pastor enough to go to him and to express your concern? God forbid if you ever see persistent sin in one of your pastors at Main Street and they refuse to repent and they continue in this pattern of sin, will you publicly rebuke them in the presence of all? Let me follow up with another question here. Are there any conversations you're putting off having with any church members? Regardless of me and Joey, the the process is the same. Is there anybody you need to talk to? Is there anybody that's like turning a blind eye and not not wanting to talk to you and you need to get two or three more involved? Is is there anybody that we know of that we've had two or three involved? We've had hard conversations and they're living a life of sin. They're refusing. We want to gain them back. We we want to rescue them from the peril of a, a wayward life and choosing the desires of their flesh. Let's talk about it. Let's not sweep it under the rug. And God forbid, if if we try and try and try and try and try, are we willing to purge and consider them a tax collector or a Gentile? This is our hard command. This is very serious, right? And so Paul keeps the note of seriousness going with one more thing to be careful about. Who are you going to ordain as an elder, a pastor? Who are you going to lay hands on? Be careful in the laying on of hands. Look at, look at verse uh, 22. It says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Now, what's the laying on of hands about? Y'all heard that before, right? What's that all about? You might remember from chapter 4, Paul brought up the time when the council of elders laid their hands on Timothy. And he said, Remember, that prophecy that they made about you when all the elders gathered together and laid their hands on you. Now, don't get confused. When you see this in the Gospels especially, this is not a good thing. They sought, they sought to, to lay hands on Jesus to arrest him or to even kill him. This is a different type of laying on of hands. This is, this is what, what we modern church, you know, we, we consider an ordination to ordain somebody for the work of ministry. This is something that the elders do, something that the church does. Um, t- there, there was a council of solid, Bible-loving, gospel-preaching elders who laid their hands on Timothy and set him apart for this work of ministry. Paul calls this a gift, a prophecy, something that we should remember often. The understanding here in chapter five is that Timmy, Timothy Timmy, needs to, needs to <clears throat> Timothy needs to follow this tradition, right? Don't let this go. Don't neglect doing this. When you develop more qualified men who are called to this noble office, get the council together. Lay hands on them. Ordain them for the work of ministry. And I'll just add kind of, again, as a side here, I don't think there's anything special about, or, or I shouldn't say special, there's nothing like magical about the ordination process, right? It, it's the, the, the hands that are laid on that person are just as holy as the tap water in the baptismal, Right? It is this sign of entrance into a public ministry that has been made known to all in an event that we remember. It's, it's a symbol of what has already gone on in this person's calling to be an elder. It's more about the symbol of dedication, reverence, holiness, set apartness. Uh, Paul says if Timothy is too hasty in doing this, he's going to take parts in the sins of others. Paul's concern isn't that Timothy isn't going to make more elders. Paul's concern is that he's going to do it too fast, right? And I got to say, times haven't changed. It, it's unreal how many people I've met who express a call to ministry, but no one has the guts to tell them, brother, you are not called to ministry. And so, because we're afraid to hurt their feelings or damage a relationship there, we ordain them, right? And they go from church to church, nothing ever works, they're they're sort of faltering, trying to be pastors, And, and it's because perhaps we've been too hasty. Paul says if we act too quickly on this, it's likely that they run amok in the church, practicing bad authority, practicing false teaching, practicing emotional abuse of church members, just plain laziness. Lying. Just a a life of sin. This is why we need to be slow. The implication here is that we are going to take part in their future sins if we ordain them. Right? This is almost as bad as telling somebody they're a Christian when they're not a Christian. Their blood is on our hands. And not only the blood of that elder who's now in the office, but potentially the blood of an entire church who follows their teaching. So we need to be careful. He says, keep yourself pure. Be patient. Don't ruin things by, by moving too quick. And then verse 23, right? We got the parentheses. Everybody's wondering what's going on in verse 23. It seems to be out of nowhere. I think there's a connection to purity here. Paul says, you know, don't only drink water. Paul uh, Timothy perhaps was uh, trying to seek purity By drinking water and water alone, which would have been a normal thing, um, and and, and trying not to get into arguments about conviction and freedom, whatever, uh, Paul says drink a little wine. I know you get sick a lot. You need the antioxidants. you got tummy problems, uh, frequent ailments. Try a little bit of wine. Add a little bit of wine to your diet. Uh, Don't get hung up here. Purity is good. Freedom is good. Drunkenness is bad. Drunkenness is deadly. Uh, This is a loving father in Christ helping his true child in the faith figure out the health issues he was going through. Uh, Back to laying on of hands too early. Paul gives his explanation in verse 24. He says, Some sins are obvious from day one. ESV uses conspicuous. It means clearly evident, manifest. They appear now. Some sins appear later for those sins that are showing up now it should be easy don't ordain them right they hadn't figured it out yet but for those who maybe have hidden sins we need to be slow need to be slow sometimes it's difficult to see the sin struggles in a person's life and man if Paul thought this was hard in in the church of ephesus oh i wish paul would just come to the bible belt sometime and and talk about hiding sins well, hey, there, no, there ain't no sinners in here, right? We're, we're good to go up here in, in, in Spindale, North Carolina. Ain't none of us have ever sinned. My goodness, especially pastors. Whoo! Um, ain't nothing wrong with us. Uh, I think we would we would la- literally rather pick up our lives and move into a shed in the middle of the woods than, than dare think that somebody knows we're a sinner. Well, I, I mean, something's wrong with us, right? Um This is how we hold aspiring pastors accountable. What does sin look like in your life? Let's figure it out. Maybe it's going to come to light later. But Paul makes a contrast. Good works are kind of the same, except they flower a little faster. Good works are conspicuous. They they are are clearly seen from the get-go. And if they're hidden, they're not going to stay that way. So it's kind of like if you, if you see fruit in a person's life, that means you know, it can't be hidden. Sins can be hidden. But the fruit of a Christian life is not something that you can hide. That's why Jesus was like you know, cursing the fig tree, because there was no fruit on it. It doesn't, doesn't work like that. If you're a Christian, if you're born again, there's fruit. That's, that's what you do. That's who you are. That's life. But sins, we love to hide. So Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That wasn't a riddle. That means fruit always comes out. So this changes how we search for elders. Because if you can't see good works in their, live, in their lives, there probably isn't any good works in their lives. Right? Because it's not being hidden. It's just not there. And, and, and if you're worried about potential sin problems... He just says, wait. If it doesn't appear now, it will appear later. How long? A couple weeks? A couple months? A couple years? I don't know. But I think I'm going to err on waiting too long than moving too fast. And I would give that to you in finding elders. Is God calling you to be an elder I believe the Lord wants a plurality of leaders, uh, pastors here at Main Street. He may be developing you now for the day when the other elders lay hands on you. But regardless of what God is calling you to or not, the task this morning is to honor your elders. Honor your elders. What do the angels do when a sinner repents? They party, they rejoice, right? And so I've asked a similar question before. What do you think the angels do when a church dishonors their pastors? They see it. Verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. I'll end with a story. Cool. Once upon a time, the overseer of the entire universe, decided to come to earth. He was the one who created and sustained all things by the power of his word. He picked up some flesh, became a man, was born of a virgin, as a baby. He lived a life of lowliness, working with his hands, uh, growing up in a, a, a meek home. Once, He went to a village called Bethany. This great overseer was invited for dinner in the home of two sisters and their relative, Lazarus. Martha was the one serving the food that day. Lazarus was having conversation, enjoying the table talk. But then there was Mary. What could Mary do to honor this great overseer? She took a pound of expensive ointment and anointed his feet, wiping his feet with her own hair. This filled the house with a wonderful fragrance of riches. But then one of the disciples, Judas, he said, why has this ointment not been sold for 300 bucks? We could feed the homeless and poor rather than Waste them on the overseer's feet. This would signify about a a week later when the overseer's feet no longer smelled like the beautiful fragrance of honor, but were pierced, hoisted upon a cross with a mocking crown on his head and a sarcastic inscription written down on his cross. Mocked, scorned, Reviled the king of all kings, the overseer of all the universe. Family, this overseer has traded places with us, has taken our dishonor so that we can honor one another. He was buried, he was killed, buried, and resurrected so that you and I could be resurrected into a people who don't treat one another like that. But be resurrected into a people who see our great, honorable King and know how to worship and know how to give good gifts to one another. This is what chapter 5 is calling us to do. Will you honor your elders by the power of the gospel? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to another message from the pulpit ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the Word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com. Or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.